This episode is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co slash treatyourshelf to sign up today. That's mytbr.co slash treatyourshelf. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 34, and we are recording on Tuesday, September 11th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hello, Rincey. How are you doing this Tuesday? Um, not too bad. I mean, we were talking about this offline, but I mean, it's been a bit of a week for both of us. So <laughs> I mean, nothing dramatic, but I think we're both just like, trying to push through as much as possible. <laughs> I did have a very exciting realization for me, at least. Um, about half an hour ago, I was just sitting watching TV with Blaine, and all of a sudden I turned around and stared at him with big eyes, and I said, do you know what to, what this weekend is? And he's looking at me like I've got three heads. He's like, I have no idea. I'm like, it's the nearby library book sale. <laughs> Every year there's a library um, within like a half hour of us that puts on this huge annual book sale same weekend every year. We've been I've been going to it since I was in college. I've gone to it every year. That's the kind of place where they hand you giant paper bags like you get at the grocery store as soon as you walk in the door because that's how many books you're going to end up with when you leave. And it is just, it is a magical, wonderful place. And we go every year. And we had forgotten about it this year because we had been so busy with other stuff going on. And Blaine was gone last weekend for for um, his bachelor weekend. And it just completely slipped my mind until about a half hour ago. So I am really hoping, I just want this week to, I just need to power through this week. And then I will get to have a giant brown paper bag filled with books. Yeah, that's amazing. I love library book sales so much. And if you listeners out there haven't uh, tried to see if your library does a book sale, I highly recommend it. We like, like living in the Chicagoland area, there are a lot of libraries and a lot of library book sales and not all library book sales are equal. So <laughs> there are definitely like a handful of ones that are very, very good and worth going to on a regular basis. I've had to stop going to library book sales just because I legitimately don't have the space for like that many books because I have no self-control when I go to them. Um, like if I was like, oh, I'm going to go to this book sale and only leave with five books, that's never going to happen. Like I will always buy the maximum amount that I'm allowed to leave with. So yeah, I've had to stop going for a couple of years just because I know myself well enough to know that I can't. I literally don't have the space for that many books at one time. So yeah, I, I'm jealous. I'm excited to see like if you end up picking up anything really good this weekend. Oh, yeah, I, I'm really excited. Like, I know, like, I'm the same way. I have no, I have no restraint. Um, this is the only library book sale that we really go to because it's so special. It's like a multi-day weekend extravaganza. And it's like, when we go, 
Blaine just kind of like, he goes and he's got his own sections that he looks at and me, I feel like I'm just like toddling around with this giant bag, just like a happy little toddler, just like, oh, that one looks good. That one looks good. And then by the time Blaine finds me, I'm like wandering down some random aisle with my eyes wide. And he's like, how many books you got in there? And I'm like, don't judge me. <laughs> and but I'm just walking along, just holding my bag, just just like smiling at everyone, and it's just oh, it's such a wonderful place. So we're gonna we're gonna have to fit in fit in uh, the the book sale sometime this weekend. Oh yeah, for sure. There's like one not too far from me that I always enjoyed going to because they always had like amazing selection. Like I always wondered how they had so many good books all the time. Yes. Um, but because like they would have like brand new hardcover releases yeah that like just came out and i'm like how are these available for only a dollar i don't understand or two dollars like whatever it is um so yeah that's like the one where it's like i always tell myself like if i can get my tbr under control which will probably never happen Mm -mm. but i'm hopeful that one day i will get it to a point where i feel comfortable like going to that sale once a year and like really stocking up like that (laughs) oh We can dream. (laughs) All right. So if you are new to this show, welcome. We are so happy to have you. Um, And we talk, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we talk about mysteries and thrillers and suspense and new releases and true crime and movie adaptations and a little bit of a little bit of everything and anything in between. And uh, so we always and we also always use this point uh, in the show to put out a call for uh, for ideas, topics um, that that you listeners think would be interesting for us to talk about. Um, if there's something going on in the news that we haven't mentioned, but you think is really, really interesting, you know, you can you can let us know if there's a particular subgenre that you're interested in that we haven't really touched on that much. We uh, we always love love hearing ideas and suggestions. We get great ideas for future um, for future show topics. And we just like hearing from people who listen to the show, because as I've mentioned before, it's, it's, to me, it's just remarkable that, that other people are listening to us (laughs) and we, and we like hearing about it. So we'll have our contact information at the bottom of the show. But we always we always like to put out that that invitation at the beginning, and then uh, before we before we get into the meat of the show, uh, we do have another uh, another uh, sponsor from Book Riot that we want to that we want to uh, throw out there. Uh, Book Riot is doing a kidlit giveaway. Um, we're giving away a six month subscription to Owl Crate Junior, a bookish subscription box for readers eight to twelve, or for those who are young at heart. Each box features a new release middle grade novel, exclusives from the author, and three to five usable goodies that fit the month's theme and encourage creativity and learning. Um, so if you have uh, younger kids in your life, um, whether friends, family members, maybe you're a teacher, um, or like the like like it says, if you're just young at heart, this would be an awesome giveaway to enter. You can go to bookriot.com slash giveaway. That's Owl C R A T E Junior giveaway, and uh, good luck to everyone who enters. All right, so we have a couple of news items that uh, we want to mention pretty quickly. Nothing like super meaty that we need to talk about. Uh, the first one I'm just going to mention really quickly: um, the blood testing firm Theranos um, officially announced that they are dissolving. The only reason why I'm mentioning this is because 
we read the book Bad Blood. Like we, Katie and I both have read this the book at this point, and I that have not is, yet. Oh, you haven't? Oh, you read The Feather Thief? Sorry, yes. I'm mixing up my uh, nonfiction books <laughs> that are slightly mis- mystery related. Um, anyways, so yes, I read Bla- Bad Blood, and it's like one of my favorite reads of the year. Um, if you aren't aware, Theranos was like this tech biotech company basically um they were claiming that they were going to invent this device or that they had invented a device that only needed like a single drop of blood to be able to do all of these different tests on and um doctors would like get the results instantaneously and be able to make like adjustments to medication or to see just like in general how their patients are doing or anything along those lines and it was basically just all a giant scam um they were not able to do any of the things that they were claiming to do. They were using other people's devices in order to, um, like when they were running tests and whatever, they were using like other companies' devices in or- as like backups and then just using those results and just all of these various r- things that are just like, it's basically like the uh, Enron of Silicon Valley. Um, but yes, I just wanted to mention very quickly that the company is uh, dissolving. Um, there's another great article in the Wall Street Journal from John Kerry Rue basically following up on it. Um, basically after, um, I think it, I want to say it was 2014 or 15 when it was an, like revealed through a Wall Street Journal article that all of this was basically a fraud. And then like after that, it had taken some time for the company to like officially res- dissolve because like the um, Elizabeth Holmes and the other people were basically trying to fight it. Um, so yeah, the company has gone. Thank goodness, because they could have potentially killed millions of people if this had actually uh, rolled out to the general public. And thank goodness for uh, investigative reporting for bringing that to the uh, public eye. All right. And then the other one that I wanted to mention very quickly is that Serial Season 3 is uh, approaching very, very soon. They announced that uh, Season 3 is going to debut on September 20th. And if you've been listening to the Serial podcast, you are aware of this probably. Um, But they like dropped a trailer basically teasing what they're going to be talking about. And like each season has been like very different from the other. Um, But this third season seems like the most different. And they are tackling criminal court proceedings. Um, So they were somehow allowed to explore like court proceedings that were happening in Cleveland and given like significant amount of access and allowed to like record inside of courtrooms and gotten like permission and like whatnot to like enter judges chambers and attorney's offices and all this stuff. And so I the way that this is framed, they're basically going to look at um, how the criminal justice system is broken. Um, So like with the first season with Anand and everything like that, a big part of the story was the fact of how his uh, court proceedings were so mishandled at times. And so uh, one of the things they say in like the teaser is like in order to really talk about these stories and talk about these issues, you need to also just look at the way the court systems currently work and how some of these cases don't even get the chances that some of the other cases have gotten in the past and just sort of how it all breaks down. Um, I'm super fascinated by it. I'm one of those people that I actually did enjoy season two. Like I recognize that it was super, super different, but I still found it really interesting just because I'm the type of person who enjoys court proceedings, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm like super amped about this one because yeah, I just think the criminal justice system is really fascinating and like the way that it doesn't work I always find to be really fascinating like we have such 
lofty ideals for people going on trial and like the innocent always getting off and the guilty always being found guilty. And obviously that's not the case. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see sort of how this one works because again, it's not going to, at least it doesn't sound like it's going to be an overarching uh, storyline or maybe there will be following a case over multiple episodes, but like looking at it through the criminal justice system, I don't know. Um, but I'm excited to listen to it. All right. Well, uh, my news item is, isn't quite as detailed or, or is maybe, maybe not quite as fascinating as that. In fact, the more I'm thinking about this might, we may have actually talked about this. I can't keep track. Um, but Gillian Flynn very recently have updated on Twitter, uh, saying that, uh, oh, and yes, another book is coming, I promise, all in capitals. And I feel like we've talked about a new Gillian Flynn book coming out, but then there was talk about how she's doing uh, part of she was, she was also doing the Hogarth uh, Shakespeare series with Hamlet. I believe it was. And so I just, I don't know where this fits in. I don't know if this is the original new book that we talked about a few months ago or what it is, but it, just a reminder, Gillian Flynn is writing again. So woohoo, Muppet Arms, Muppet Arms. I don't care what it's about. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. Um, <laughs> so just kind of reminding everyone else out there that Gillian Flynn is still, is still uh, writing and she will hopefully be coming out with a new book sooner rather than later, um, if the writing gods are, are nice to us. Um, <laughs> and then we have, we have another link. It's a, it's a Twitter, it's a, it's a tweet, um, but it's very visual and I, you can't describe it to do it justice. So for those of you who, who visit the show notes, uh, we will have a link to this tweet. It is related to Gillian Flynn and it's very funny. Um, and, yeah, so so if you if you haven't visited the show notes before, please do to find this very funny tweet that both Brincy and I found highly amusing. Yeah. <laughs> I've laughed at that a significant number of times. Like I've seen that a lot and I laugh every single time I look at this tweet, so it is definitely worth uh clicking on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't even know how I'm going to link to that in the show notes. I'm going to have to have just be like Gillian Flynn joke or something like yeah. that. <laughs> this is funny. Click on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turn it into, into like some like cl- a clickbait headline or something. Seriously, <laughs> nine out of ten people have died laughing from from looking at this tweet. <laughs> oh boy, that might be the show title. Honestly, it might be at this. Yeah, I'm thinking so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm going to do our first official sponsor for the show, which is "The Boy at the Keyhole" by Stephen Giles. Nine-year-old Samuel lives alone in a once-great estate in Surrey with the family's housekeeper, Ruth. His father is dead, and his mother has been abroad for months, purportedly tending to her husband's faltering business. Beyond her sporadic postcard, Samuel hears nothing from his mother. He misses her dearly and maps her journey in an atlas in her study. Samuel's life is otherwise regulated by Ruth, who runs the house with an iron fist. As rumors in town begin to swirl, Samuel wonders whether something more sinister is afoot. Perhaps his mother did not leave, but was murdered. By Ruth. Oh, that's awesome. Um, the, this book has gotten a lot of acclaim. Um, Lindsay Fay, who wrote the book The Gods of Gotham, calls it a fiendishly efficient, gorgeously written, nasty little thrill ride. Um, and this, this book is described as for fans of Shirley Jackson, Sarah Waters, and Daphne du Maurier. 
Uh, Film rights have been optioned already uh, by New Regency. Um, Other authors who have praised the book have been Matthew Sullivan uh, and Josh Mailerman, who said, you'll talk about this book with everyone you meet. It's that exciting. It's a book that can be read in one sitting, the kind of book you finish and need to talk about. Giles deploys sharp, beautifully restrained prose to heart-palpitating ends, evoking the psychological intensity of works like Slade House, Mr. Splitfoot, and Night Film. Oh, gosh, this book is already on my to read list. I need I need a copy of this book yesterday. Um, again, that is The Boy at the Keyhole by Stephen Giles. And we thank them very much for sponsoring our show and for increasing my TBR list. <laughs> All right. So our main topic for this episode, we decided to talk um, about historical mysteries. And this is actually one of the listener suggestions that we have received recently. Um, the email that we got talked about how Uh, This listener really enjoys uh, reading historical mysteries, and they specifically enjoy uh, one set in the Victorian era. But there are so many different, even like within the subgenre of historical mysteries, there are so many different ways and eras and whatnot that you can take with historical mysteries. Some of them fall into the more like cozy line of things. Um, Some of them are a little bit darker. Um, Recent ones, I feel like, that have been coming out are more or looking at like sort of different angles at historical mysteries, which I'll probably be talking about a little bit when I'm talking about my books. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy reading historical mysteries. They're not necessarily like my go to with mystery books, but I do enjoy them. And especially if they feel sort of more like a twist on the genre or providing like a new or different perspective on a certain era in history. So I don't know, Katie, what about you? Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I if you had asked me this question like uh, several years ago, I would've been like, "No, nah, I don't really touch historical mysteries, historical fiction." Um I've cuz I think I at the at, at that time I I viewed historical stuff as just being um either just just boring or lighter or just, you know, just not interesting to me. And I've I've definitely changed my stance since then. I'm not, you know, an avid historical fiction or historical mystery reader. Um, but I do definitely, I, I do definitely, oh lordy, um, I definitely enjoy, um, I enjoy certain historical mysteries. Um, not surprisingly, I, I go towards the stuff that's, that tends to be darker. Um, and I have a, I have an appreciation for historical mysteries that use the details of the time period and like incorporates them seamlessly into the story instead of just like dumping a bunch of research facts on top of the story. Um, Because that, that to me just slows everything down. Um, But like when, when the time period is an organic element of the story, I really appreciate that. Um, And I also agree with what you said where um, it like, I'm, I'm interested in historical stuff that gives a different perspective um on that that time period um to use like to use a very recent example that's not a mystery per se but um one that i just finished reading i I finally was able to finish up um an extraordinary union by Alyssa cole um Mm. which is it's very much romance but it has espionage in it and stuff but you know the main character is a freed black woman who's basically working undercover as a mute slave, um, trying to get information on the war efforts from the South so that she can pass it along 
to her contacts up north. Um, and that's just such a fascinating perspective that you know, when you think about all of the you know, all of the books have been written about the Civil War, you know, you don't, you don't get that perspective, not only, or, you know, from a black woman, but from a black woman who's actively, um, who's, you know, actively working against the South and committing espionage and putting herself in danger to, to uh, turn the tide of the war. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really, I really like stuff that, that has that different perspective or that, yeah, that, that twist to it, just like you said. Um, if it's something that's just said, oh, it's just set in this historical time period, typically I'm not going to be that interested. But if it's got some other element to it, I, I will definitely take a closer look at it. Yeah. And I'm also someone where if I am picking up a historical mystery, it has to feel historical or feel like it's set in that time period. And obviously, I'm not an expert in every single time period, but I've definitely read books that are set in like the early 1900s that feel too much like they're set in modern day, like the way that people talk and the way that people act. Like there's a line that like historical fiction books have to walk where like obviously you need it to be readable, so to speak. I'm doing like air quotes, even though you guys can't see it. Um, <laughs> I felt them. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, they have to be like relatively readable for a modern audience. But if it feels like you just took a character from modern day and plopped them in the past. Like that doesn't work for me either. Like there's a mystery series, which I'm not going to mention partially because I can't remember the exact name of it. <laughs> um, but I remember reading it and it was supposed to be set, I think during World War II. Um, and the way that the characters talk just felt way too modern. Like it felt like they like, and I, again, I'm not an expert in it, but it's just like a feeling that you get where it just where they would just occasionally mention things related to World War II, but otherwise it just felt like a modern mystery. And like stuff like that doesn't really work for me either. And again, I'm not reading this genre extensively, but if you're going to set something in a specific time period, like there should be either a reason behind it or you need to do a little bit of work to like make it actually feel slightly more like that time period. Yeah, I I totally agree. It's like finding that sweet spot between you know, I don't like, you know, I don't want a bunch of facts just dumped on me for no reason other than to show that the author did their research. But I also want the I want it to be more than just like mentioning, oh, yeah, we're in World War Two. It's like, well, eh, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think it's finding that 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 sweet spot in between the two. That's that's definitely I think where I'm at. All right. So I can start off uh, talking about the book that I read, and I'm still actually reading it. And so actually something I wanted to mention, another thing about historical mysteries that if you are listening to this and you haven't read historical mysteries, at least for me, they take longer to read than other mystery books. I think it's because, again, that detail. And for me, I personally like slow down my own pace because I want to like pay attention to those details. Um, so if you are someone who reads historical mystery or who hasn't read historical mysteries but wants to give it a try, um, just be aware of that. It's not going to be like a page turning thriller that you finish in a day. Like for me, usually historical mysteries take me just a little bit longer um, just because of like the richness of good, at least good ones, good historical mysteries. Um so yes, I'm currently reading A Gentleman's Murder by Christopher Huang. This one just came out this year, and it's by a smaller press. Um, what is it? Ink Ink Shares. Um, they are like a smaller publisher outside of LA that like works to basically publish books um, 
that have like sort of that different perspective that we were talking about before. Um, so this one takes place in 1924 in Britain. And so it's basically like dealing with the aftermaths, aftermaths of World War One. And the main character's name is Eric Peterkin, and he's actually of mixed race. And so he's half Chinese, half British. Um, and so that actually like comes into play with the storyline. Um, there is a girl that's in that's uh, mentioned as a part of the story that is of, I believe, Chinese descent as well. And then also um, the main character also just talks about like the way that people of Asian descent are talked about or mentioned or anything along those lines about he talks about how he has a sister who's obviously also a mixed race, but she is more white passing. And so he always feels like that he got accepted by his friends and the people around him because they would meet her first and uh, like her because she looks like more white than she does Asian features, but then they would meet him and he has stronger Asian features than white features. And so he feels like the only reason why he got accepted is because of his sister, things like that. Um, even the way that people talk about him or the things that he's interested in. Um, again, it deals with like a post-World War One status and it talks about things like PTSD and serving in the military and things like that, um, which I find really interesting because Personally, I feel like I read less about World War One stories versus World War Two stories. And World War One was a much messier war. Like it feels like there were more consequences to it in terms of like the impacts on soldiers and things like that. But you also don't read as much about those stories. Um, so this book really does explore like the impacts on the soldiers and the things that they were forced to see while um, – serving in battle and things like that um but also like the way that he as a mixed race person was is treated like people assume that he was part of like a chinese regiment and not a part of like the british regiment and all of these different things um so yeah like the main story is about how um eric peterkin is uh given membership in, as part of this very prestigious soldiers only uh gentlemen's club in london and one of the recent members is found dead inside the club. And so obviously like it's a very exclusive club and there's very limited access. So it has to be sort of someone else who also has access to the gentleman's club. And it's this mystery sort of looking to see like who murdered this man. Um, there's also like sort of possibilities of conspiracy and things like that, you know, typical mystery stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it a lot, like a lot more than I thought I was originally going to. I think that the book does a really good job of balancing, again, the historical aspect and the mystery aspect. Um, and I find the character to be really interesting. Um, I believe that this one also has already been optioned for, I don't know if it's movie or TV, but I know that the rights have been optioned. And I kind of am hoping that this does end up making it to the screen in some format because it feels sort of like um I don't want to compare it to Sherlock Holmes because everything always gets compared to Sherlock Holmes but it has that sort of like golden age mystery feel to it um the main character is like very smart very observant and he is an amateur detective uh, um other than having like served in the army and things like that uh but yeah it's a really solid mystery so far again I haven't finished it yet but I'm thoroughly enjoying it so far that's awesome. And yeah, it's to, you know, the initial description doesn't sound like something I would pick up automatically. Um, but the fact that you're enjoying it so much, I'm, I'll be very interested to hear what you think of it when you finish it. Um, and then for, for the, for me, um, 
I'm going to talk about a book that I have mentioned in passing on the show, but I haven't talked about at length. And I think this, um, looking back, I can actually, I this would probably be the first historical mystery that I think changed my opinion of what historical mysteries could be um, based on what I had, you know, previously perceived. Um, and that's the, uh, the alienist by Caleb Carr. Um, it's, a, I mean, it's a pretty well-known book. It's more well-known now that the um, TNT show has been on, um, which I have not watched um, partially because I don't really care for Dakota Fanning, but, um, but the book itself, I read it, um, I read it, uh, a few years ago. And if you're not familiar with the premise, it takes place in 1896, New York. Um, and there have been, um, there's been a really, uh, there's been a, a gruesome murder, and then they eventually uh, becomes a string of gruesome murders about young cross-dressing male prostitutes that have basic that have been mutilated and murdered in horrible ways, and um, the majority of the New York Police Department is really kind of looking the other way because of the victims and who they were and their and their place in society, and the police department just doesn't want to touch it. Um, but then uh, Teddy Roosevelt, the, that Teddy Roosevelt, who is uh, at the time the uh, new police superintendent and he had much more progressive views, um, he puts together a team of investigators to start applying cutting, not only like the cutting edge forensic techniques, but also psychological strategies to put together um, to put to put together a profile of who this killer might be and why he behaves the way he does. Um, so yeah, basically, to this this is like this this would theoretically be like the first um, the first psychological profile of a criminal, which when we think about it nowadays is something that's very standard. You put together you put together a behavior profile if you're trying to track down an unknown killer, um, but at the time psychology was really met with a lot of superstition, misunderstanding, just general skepticism. Um, so the investigative team that's that's using these techniques is meeting with a lot of resistance, both inside the actual police department and outside of it as well. Um, the main character is Dr. Laszlo Kriesler, or I think it's Kriesler, um, and he's what's known as an alienist, which is which was the term for psychologists at the time. So there's the title. Um, so he and um, his, a colleague uh, John Moore, who's a newspaper reporter, um, and then they they bring along um, they they team up with uh, Sarah Howard, who uh, was actually the first female employee of the police department, and. They and they try to you know figure out who done it and what's what's driving him, what's motivating him, why these particular victims, um, and so you get that kind of forensic element and that psychological element that I personally really love in mysteries, but it's also got because of the time period, the obstacles that the characters meet are very organic to that time period and to the to get yeah, just to society and police work and just all of these other elements they just come together in such an organic way and that's what I was talking about that when I love I love when the historical setting just is just naturally incorporated into the into the overall story or the overall mystery um this book I mean if 
if the description did not give did not indicate this, this book is super dark. I remember reading it and just kind of being taken aback at how dark and gritty it is. And I, my previous conception was that historical mysteries are, are you know, they're lighter because they're so detail-heavy that, that they're going to be on, more on the boring side. This book, it, that just totally changed my perception of that. It's, it is a slower read, just be, it's longer, and there's just so much detail and so much thought put into these characters. And, but it's such an absorbing, gripping, gritty read that I just, when I finished it, I was just completely blown away by it. Um, and I, that, uh, reading that also introduced me. I mentioned the character Sarah Howard. She was my favorite character in the entire book. Um, even now, several years after I read the book for the first time, I, I remember how much I loved her character because she was she was just so three dimensional, and she was she was compassionate. She was independent. She had she had a lot of guts. And it just it came across as so authentic and just so and so natural. It was it wasn't like the she wasn't a Mary Sue. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't, you know, a, you know, an overly nurturing, compassionate, you know, female character because female care because because women were put in the caretaker role of the time. Um, but she was she was just so smart and she just used her position to to, she really did the best that she could with her with her position in society within the police department. Um, I just I loved this book to pieces. Um, and in fact, talking about it now, I'm like, oh gosh, I've got to go reread this book. I loved it so much, I forgot. Um, but yeah, the, this book, like I would say, you know, first off, if you don't, if you don't mind, like you know, your mysteries on the darker side, but if you've never read a historical mystery before read this one because if you're if you're thinking that you may not like them because of reasons um i'm pretty sure this book is gonna it's gonna just totally blow those reasons out of the water that sounds amazing i need to read that book now (laughs) (laughs) yeah and even people like i remember at the time my um one of my former managers at work who usually reads like fantasy and sci-fi and stuff he saw me reading this book at lunch and he was like oh he's like that book is awesome and I, I just remember him saying that and just being like, huh, this is, seems so far out from what he usually reads. So that, to me, I think just placed even more, like, just, just, just emphasized even more just how awesome the book was. It was like when my, when my uh, co-worker who loved or who typically reads historical fiction and literary fiction read The Martian for the first time and then just slammed the book down on my desk and said, you need to read this book immediately. I was like, okay, this book must be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that's always a sign of a good recommendation or a good book. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's basically all we wanted to talk about with this topic. Feel free to email us with your thoughts or feelings or tweet at us uh, with your thoughts or feelings about historical mysteries. Because, again, there this is a pretty big subgenre um, and there are lots of different sort of avenues with historical mysteries. So de- depending on what sort of mysteries you like to read, there probably is a historical mystery out there that you would enjoy as well. All right, um, so I have our second sponsor, and that is Hollywood Dead by Richard Cadry. Life and death take on an entirely new meaning for James Stark, a.k.a. Sandman Slim. He's back from hell and trailing more trouble in his wake. 
To return to L.A., he has to make a deal, an arrangement that came with a catch. While he may be home, Stark isn't quite himself because he's only partially alive. There's a time limit on his reanimated body, and unless Stark can find his targets, he will die again, and this time there will be no coming back. Stark knows he can't do this alone. Meet new friends and unexpected old faces in Hollywood Dead. So this is a high-octane urban fantasy adventure from one of the genre's best-selling authors with the ticking clock on Sandman Slim's reanimated body spurring the story onward. There's never a dull moment. Hollywood Dead returns the kick-ass action of the series to the streets of L.A. and a colorful cast of characters, both new aliens and surprising reappearances of old faces. The Sandman Slim series is perfect for fans of Jim Butcher and Kevin Hearn, so if you are a fan of urban fantasy mystery books, then you should pick up Hollywood Dead by Richard Cadry. All right. So I've got new releases this week, and it took some effort to whittle it down to a manageable list. So I've got I've got four titles plus two honorable mentions. Um, so I want I want everyone to uh, prepare their TBRs because they are about to explode. Um, the first book that I want to mention uh, comes out uh, today, and that is Hashtag Fashion Victim by Amina Akhtar, which I mentioned previously on the on the show uh, as a book that I was hoping to get to. I still have not gotten to it yet, but it's still very high on my list. Um, this is a darkly thrilling take on the fashion world. Um, Hashtag Fashion Victim is Heather's Meets the Devil Wears Prada. I mean, and honestly, what more do you need? Um, fashion editor. Editor Anya St. Clair is on the verge of greatness. Her wardrobe is to die for, her social media is killer, and her career path is littered with the bodies of anyone who got in her way. She has worked hard to get where she is, but she doesn't have everything. Not like Sarah Taft. Anya's obsession sits one desk away. Beautiful, stylish, and rich, she was born to be a fashion world icon. From her beach wave blonde hair to her on-trend nail art, she's a walking editorial spread, and Anya wants to be her friend. Her best friend. Her only friend. But when Sarah becomes her top competition for a promotion, Anya's plan to win her friendship goes into overdrive. In order to beat Sarah, she'll have to become her. Friendly competition may turn fatal, but as they say in fashion, one day you're in, and the next day you're dead. And that is hashtag fashion victim, the hashtag is important, by Amina Akhtar. And uh, like I said, that is, well, that's out by the time you guys are listening to this. This is um, this is already out and uh, ready to be purchased. Um, the next book that I have on the list is another one that is that has been published today. Um, and this is kind of historical true crime uh, called The Real Lolita, The Kidnapping of Sally Horner and the Novel That Scandalized the World. Uh, so most of us are familiar, at least with the premise of, uh, Vladimir Nabokov's novel Lolita, um, one of the most notorious novels of all time. Um, but very few people, including me, uh, knew that the subject of the novel was inspired by a real life case, the 1948 abduction of 11 year old Sally Horner. Weaving together suspenseful crime narrative, cultural and social history, and literary investigation, the real Lolita tells Sally Horner's full story for the very first time. Drawing upon extensive investigations, legal documents, public records, and interviews with remaining relatives, Sarah Weinman uncovers how much Nabokov knew of the Sally Horner case and the efforts he took to disguise that knowledge during the process of writing and publishing Lolita. 
Sally Horner's story echoes the stories of countless girls and women who never had the chance to speak for themselves. By diving deeper in the, into the publication history of Lolita and restoring Sally to her rightful place in the lore of the novel's creation, the real Lolita casts a new light on the dark inspiration for a modern classic. Um, which I have not read Lolita. Um, I don't. I don't know if I'll be able to just just because I know what the premise is. But um, but uh, the stories just sound so fascinating. And so again, the investigative investigative journalism for the win here. I think um, this book. Uh, I, I saw it on the Book Riot Insiders, and this was marked as a um, as a Liberty Hardy pick. So um, if you follow what Liberty reads, she she apparently enjoyed this one. And so again, that is the real Lolita: the kidnapping of Sally Horner and the novel that scandalized the world by Sarah Weinman. And then we've got a couple of releases that are coming out next week on September eighteenth. Uh, first one that I have is The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. The Rules of Blackheath. Evelyn Hardcastle will be murdered at 11 p.m. There are eight days and eight witnesses for you to inhabit. We will only let you escape once you tell us the name of the killer. Understood? Then let's begin. Evelyn Hardcastle will die. Every day until Aiden Bishop can identify her killer and break the cycle. But every time the day begins again, Aiden wakes up in the body of a different guest, and some of his hosts are more helpful than others. The most inventive debut of the year twists together a mystery of such unexpected creativity it will leave, re- leave readers guessing until the very last page. Um, and again, there's The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton, which to this sounds like like a compl- like you take an Agatha Christie novel and just completely turn it on its head. This sounds this sounds like a f- such a cool take on a golden on a golden age mystery story. Um, so I'm I actually I have an arc of this one sitting at home, so I'll I'll have to uh, I'll have to pick that one up pretty soon. And then finally, we have the Impossible Girl by Lydia Kang, um, which is also out next week on September eighteenth. Manhattan, 1850. So here we go, historical mysteries. Born out of wedlock to a wealthy socialite and a nameless immigrant, Cora Lee can mingle with the rich just as easily as she can slip unnoticed into the slums and graveyards of the city. As the only female resurrectionist in New York, she's carved out a niche procuring bodies afflicted with the strangest of anomalies. Anatomists will pay exorbitant sums for such specimens, dissecting and displaying them for the eager public. Cora's specialty is not only profitable, it's a means to keep a finger on the pulse of those searching for her. She's the girl born with two hearts, a legend among grave robbers and anatomists sought after as an endangered prize. Now as a series of murders unfolds closer and closer to Cora, she can no longer trust those she holds dear, including the young medical student she's fallen for, because someone has no intention of waiting for Cora to die a natural death. And again, that is The Impossible Girl by Lydia Kang. And then our honorable mentions. This week, uh, we have Miss Cop Just Won't Quit by Amy Stewart. This is the fourth in the Cop Sisters series, uh, which uh, the first one is the Lady Waits with Gun or something along those lines. Um, So we've talked about that series before on the show here. So the fourth one is out this week. And then next week is the release date for Lethal White by Robert Galbraith, a.k.a. J.K. Rowling, a.k.a. Fourth Book in the Cormoran Strike series. And I still need to pre-order that now that I'm thinking about it. I was going to be like, I'm going to read that as soon as I get it. And then I was like, I have to get it first. 
Um, so yeah, so those are our new releases and yeah, I, my reading list is crying. (laughs) All right. So final part of the segment, segment, episode, it's tired. I'm tired. (laughs) Um, so in terms of what I have been currently reading, I haven't finished anything mystery related in a while. I keep picking up various books on my TBR and then, uh, DNFing them. And I'm not going to talk about them because they're, it's not like they're bad, but they're just like not really getting me through. Um, but I'm in the middle of one book that I'm finding very interesting besides A Gentleman's Murder, and that is In Vino Duplicitas. I probably totally butchered that. I think it's either real Latin or fake Latin. Um, and the subtitle to this is The Rise and Fall of a Wine Forger Extraordinaire by Peter Hellman. Um so there's been like this trend in the Book Riot contributors uh, back channels on our Slack uh, where a bunch of us have really been getting into um, like nonviolent uh, true crime stories. So forgeries and heists and things of that sort. Like we all went through and read The Feather Thief basically at this point. Um, a lot of us read Bad Blood. Um, there's another book coming out or it already came out. I think it came out this week um, called The Dinosaur Artist by Paige Williams, which is all about um, someone who tried to sell dinosaur bones. Um, and then there was just a whole lot of stuff that went down around it about whether or not it was fake or real or whether he had obtained them legally and whatnot. Um, so yes, that's another book that you can put on your radar. But uh, the one that I'm currently reading is, again, about a wine forger. And I'm not like super far into it, but I'm really enjoying it, partially because I'm not a foodie or like a whiny or anything along those lines. Is a whiny a word? I don't know. I mean, I know the word <laughs> whiny is a word. Anyways, this is a tangent. Um, I'm not like a wine connoisseur or anything along those lines, but I think the author is doing a really good job of setting up the story. Um, he spends, um, he has like an introduction sort of talking about the wine industry in general and um, how and why certain wines are like priced at hundreds or thousands of dollars and why other ones are you can get for like $10 at your grocery store and what the difference is between them. Um, but he also sort of sets up this person who uh, basically started forging um, wines. And if you know anything about very fancy wines, like usually like with these ones that cost like tens of thousands of dollars, there's usually like very specific things um, that you have to look for, whether it's like a seal or like a specific type of stamp or something along those lines. And this uh, forger was basically uh, forging a very specific year and brand of wine. And there were like a bunch of like sort of events that occurred that made it very easy for this to be a wine that got forged. Um, And there is a little bit of pontificating about how this forgery has like ruined wine for like millions because you're never really sure if like the wine that you're drinking is uh, real or not. And especially if it's like from this year and things like that, Um, which I find a little bit pompous because like it's wine. But I also (laughs) understand because like you could say the same thing about like art and things like that. Um, But yeah, I'm like enjoying it. I'm very again, I'm very much into the sort of like heist or forgery or like con man sort of situations uh i feel like there have been a decent number of books i don't know if it's just because they're currently catching my attention or what um but i 
uh, yeah, I'm currently listening to In Vino Duplicas by Peter Hellman. And uh, next up on my list after that is to read The Dinosaur Artist by Paige Williams. Although I will, I do have to say that I have like half of the books that you mentioned um, in new releases on my physical TBR. Like I have Hashtag Fashion Victim. I have The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. Um, so it's possible I'm going to read one of those. Oh, I have one of the Miss Cop books. It's not the one that just came out because I'm behind on the series, but I think I have like the second or third book in the series. And obviously I'm going to be picking up the new Robert Galbraith as soon as it comes out. So all of those are forthcoming. I can't read all those books by the next by the next episode, but I will at least have some of them done. <laughs> all right. Um, well, two things. One, I think I realized after you were, were talking about wine connoisseurs, I think the word you were looking for is sommelier or sommelier. Oh, yeah. Sommelier, sommelier, I, I can't pronounce it, but um, that also, a couple years ago, I went to New Orleans with a friend of mine, and we went to um, the famous restaurant Arnaud's, and we were looking at the wine list. There was a $7,000 bottle of wine on there. And we're like, oh, yeah, sure, let's spring for that. <laughs> which Yeah. Yeah, which to me, I'm just like, look, I am perfectly satisfied with $5 Moscato from Target, so... Yeah, I, I don't have um, extraordinary tastes in that way. No, 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 no. I, I'm like, the more the more it tastes like fruit punch, the more I love it. <laughs> like, in college, I was a big fan of Arbor Mist. I'm still a big fan of Arbor Mist. And that is that is just glorified juice. Basically, yes, that but that's a, okay. Yeah, that's a, that is an adult juice box right there. Um... I so yeah I realized um, when I was filling out the books that I have been currently reading I realized that I have actually finished a lot of books that I m- was talking about on the last episode um, so I finished three books um, I finished the Legacy by Irsa Sigurdar Daughter um, which was it was an interesting mystery I I liked it um, the ending was the ending both had a good twist. And like, in terms of finding out who done it, um, but the there was also kind of I'm not a huge fan of like the detective kind of confronting the killer and then the killer kind of monologuing. Um, it's just not doesn't seem that realistic to me. So I was a little I wasn't thrilled with that part of the ending. Um, but the very very uh, end um, when well. I won't say what happens, but the last, the like, the I don't remember if it was like the very last line. I know it was the last line of one of the one of the end chapters. It, that just kind of like redeemed a lot of that. I just, I just, I loved the last line. And if you read the book and you get to the end of the book, you'll know which line I'm talking about. And I was just like, oh yeah. Um, so I really did enjoy it. Um, it was called The Legacy by Irsa Sigurdar Daughter. Um, I finished uh, Lady Killers today, actually, Deadly Women Throughout History by Tori Telfer. Fascinating. Oh, my goodness. This, oh, gosh. Like, I don't know that I can add much more to about the book than what I talked about last time. But, I mean, every chapter is about a different female serial killer. And I mean, we're going from, like, 1300s England to, like, 1500s Hungary to 1920s Chicago to, I mean, just all over the place. 
And you get these these um, profiles of all these different women from different historical time periods and backgrounds and situations, um, different methods of killing, although poison was very is, is very popular. Um, and then you get all of this with with this like historical feminist context about how women are perceived and how they and how they were they were treated and how we perceive crime and like evil deeds and it talks about like the justice system and it's just so fascinating. Um, I this is a book that I act that like I want to get a physical copy of this book so I can reread it. Like I listen to it on audio. If you can get it on audio, it is fantastic. You'll this is the kind this is the kind of audiobook that you'll like find excuses to do errands like in your car so you could keep listening to it or you'll find excuses to do more chores. Um so interesting. Um and I finished that on the on the way to work today. Um and again that was Lady Killers, Deadly Women Throughout History by Tori Telfer. And then um over the Labor Day weekend, I started and finished The Unexpected Inheritance of Inspector Chopra by Vasim Khan, um, because I talked about how dark my reading had been and I needed some baby elephants. And I really did need some baby elephants because that book just hit the spot for me. It was the, it was exactly what I needed. Um, it was, um, like there it's it was a little bit darker and that it talked about um just like organized crime in India but it was also like there was lightness to it and I really I really liked um the character of Inspector Chopra I liked the characters um I actually like I didn't think it would be a really fast read for me necessarily but I tore through it it just I think it just was what exactly what I needed. Um, so I'm I that's a that's a book that I that I think I'm going to read more in the Inspector Chopra series. So um, I second uh, I second Rincey's recommendation of this one. So the Unexpected Inheritance of Inspector Chopra by Vasim Khan. And then in terms of what I'm starting, um, since I finished um, the audiobook of Lady Killers today, I thankfully had another audiobook ready to go. Um, and that's The Last Time I Lied by Riley Sager, which um, I mentioned, or one of us mentioned uh, a few episodes ago. Uh, Riley Sager wrote Final Girls last year, which was the bomb. And this is his this is his newest book. Um, basically, it's creepy sleepaway camp, like three girls disappeared at at summer camp and there's one girl in their friend group who she has no idea what happened to them the last she saw was them leaving the cabin in the dead of night and then they were never heard from again and then as an adult as she's trying to cope with with this um like with the trauma of losing her friends and not knowing what happened to them she's invited to come back to the camp as like a resident artist and she starts realizing that there's something really really wrong with with the camp um and i i love final girl so much so as soon as i as soon as the the audiobook came came in on hold for me i just snatched that up um and so far it um it's it's um it hasn't started off with quite the bang that Final Girls has, but it's been it's been really compelling listening so far. And I can just tell that the story, I'm just like, this story's just gonna pull me in. Um so I this is gonna be I think I think this is gonna be another one that I'm gonna be really I'm gonna be really excited to keep listening to. Um 
And then initially for the historical mystery discussion, I was going to read and finish A Study in Scarlet Women by Sherry Thomas, because I had started listening to the book earlier this year, and then I just couldn't get into the narrator's accent. Um, so I decided to try reading it. Um, I downloaded it as an ebook, but unfortunately, life intervened, and I wasn't able to really read enough of it to talk about it on this episode. So I'm going to just kind of keep reading it as something that, you know, that uh, that hopefully I'll be able to finish in the next two weeks. Um but uh, but yeah, I'm excited to get uh, farther through this this book because everyone just keeps raving about it. So, uh, Study in Scarlet Women by Sherry Thomas. All right, and that's the show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Uh, for show notes, head to bookriot.com/listen. You can click on the Red or Dead section, and then you can see all of the links to all of the books that we mentioned in this episode in the show notes, as well as a link to that wonderful uh, Gillian Flynn joke. That's- <laughs> just going to mention that again because it's worth clicking on just for that um if you enjoyed the podcast definitely leave us a review on apple Podcasts so that way other people can find us and discover us and uh talk about mystery books with us if you want to send us comments or questions or show suggestions you can email us at red or dead at bookriot.com um, otherwise you can find me on twitter and instagram i am at rincy a and you can find me on twitter at kt underscore library lady and we will talk to you guys again next time bye bye, bye.